0: episode of the event industry news podcast is sponsored by evolution dome award-winning temporary inflatable event structures take a look at their structures at evolutiondome.com hello everyone welcome to the event industry news podcast with me james dixon wishing you all a very good morning afternoon or evening whenever or wherever you tune in to today's podcast from i may sound a little bit croaky uh, on today's podcast i'm uh suffering the after effects of an extensive Uh, an intense day on Saturday helping out at a local music festival that takes place in the town centre where I live in Yorkshire and um, it was a full sort of 15 hour day in sweltering conditions in a venue doing sound and getting bands on and off stage and uh, I think it's going to take me at least a week to get over that one day um, of work which I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, will have some empathy for and some experience of themselves Um, so we move on and hopefully as always on the podcast it's not going to be me that's doing all the chattering It's our guest. Um, Today we're going to be talking about event launches and relaunches and how the approach to those uh, tasks has has somewhat changed um, since the pandemic. Um, You know, regular listeners will know that uh, in those sort of first episodes back that I joined you on um, sort of post-ish pandemic, um, we spoke a lot about the, the downtime and the sort of almost luxurious position that for events people we were given um, in 2020 when there was some time off. I know fundamentally it wasn't a great period of time for us, but one real sort of major um, plus that came out of it was that time to to almost reset, to breathe a little bit to see how we're doing things and maybe reevaluate. and my guest today is very much going to be using that as a start point of, of today's uh, chat on the podcast to look at how um, we've emerged from there and how we look at almost this rebirth and how we've maybe changed some of our formulas since that, uh, that period of time in 2020. I'm delighted to welcome for the first time to the podcast Caroline Cronin. Caroline is the head of events from EMAP, uh, an organisation that most of our listeners if not all of them will have uh, come across at some point in their careers, Caroline. A very warm welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, hi, James. Good to be here.
0: Uh, yeah, th- thanks. Thanks for joining us. And um, as I said in the introduction, then that, that you, you you could could hear, um, we did have that period of time, didn't we, in 2020, where yes, it wasn't great. Yes, it was a huge. It had a huge impact um, on our industry. Um, but we were given something that we've never had before, which was a bit of downtime in order to just reevaluate reassess and we have i think it would be fair to say most people that work in this industry will have allowed themselves a bit of time to maybe do things a little bit differently um maybe we should get some context first of all on on your own role uh, at emap and maybe sort of go post pandemic and find out you know wh- what was your journey in events up until the pandemic
1: Hmm, uh, very good question. It depends how far you want me to go back, James. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a nutshell, my events career kind of started out in um well, started out as a journo, actually. Um right. wannabe journo, found that not for me, moved into event ops, then I moved into event production, which is kind mm-hmm. of quite an unusual path, and then more into management roles. So up until the pandemic, I was working for a smaller publisher called Burlington Group, and then COVID hit, and I was made redundant along with, you know, everybody else in the event sector. absolutely. So I had a lovely four months doing a lot of gardening, and then then I went back to the PPA, which some of you listening might have heard of, the Professional Mm -hmm. Publishers Association, where I'd worked previously, and I took up a maternity cover role there as events and commercial director, which was fabulous. I absolutely loved it. and then this role here at EMAP came up which at the time was called Head of Conferences and um, I jumped at it quite frankly mm-hmm. it was um, one of those things where you know throughout my B2B publishing career everybody that you interact with has worked at EMAP at some point and I almost felt left out so I thought brilliant now's my time so now I am working in the fashion architecture and building services group of EMAP and I'm essentially responsible for the profitability of conferences and some of our awards not all of them that sure. kind of in a nutshell is what i'm doing day-to day is kind of project managing and making sure we hit our profit targets and Absolutely. i'm also responsible for the content
0: mm. and, and and i mean content is you know arguably the the, the number one sort of fundamental to, to, to any event um but but Something that was interesting in the conversation, you know, but people won't be surprised to hear that prior to the podcast, there are email threads and conversations going off before, you know, we actually sort of meet to to, to record them to, to to maybe discuss what we might look at. And something that, that you said is, is that a lot of the precedents and trends that we'd built up until that point have been thrown out the window to an extent mm. you know we, we we came back and started with a blank canvas um what, what were sort of the, some of the things that, that you know does anything jump out at you that that straight away when you came back with your live events with the conferences with the awards that you thought mm. that differently
1: well you know what I think for me one of the most simplest things was the old adage of you know don't do events on a Friday you know it, <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> what does a day of the week mean anymore? It means absolutely nothing because of the way that people work now. So there were all these kind of, you know, inherent event rules that everyone kind of understood and worked to because, you know, as a whole, it made sense. But then, you know, all of a sudden, okay, that's, that's not a thing anymore. Um, mm. The timings of events, you know, if you're structuring a conference, okay, well, do we need to start later and finish earlier now people more people are commuting in and out like what does that look like and actually you know there's not a one size fits all for that either right because it depends mm. on the market that you're dealing with and here we work in four different markets so it could be the smallest kind of thing like that that all of a sudden was up for discussion and it felt quite unnerving also exciting at the same time because it opened up more doors but ultimately it it, it was you know also scary in the sense of oh all of our historic data means nothing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um all the people that used to work in these positions have probably moved on because the churn was so high in every sector right because people are losing yeah. their jobs yeah. left right and center so you know all of the historical data we've had just all of a sudden just was meaningless and <sighs> well, that, that, that's that you know the scary point to be at really
0: that, that, that's an interesting point that you raise there because You know we talk about relationships a lot in in the events industry and between suppliers between sponsors you know uh, financial backers people who make you know put up the financial backing through sponsorship that make things out award ceremonies you know uh, possible and those relationships you might have somebody brand new in the company delivering the event and somebody brand new in the marketing position for the headline sponsor who suddenly come to the table with completely new ideas, those relationships. It's not just how we think about producing and delivering the events. It's, it's those relationships that had to sort of start from ground zero again.
1: Yeah, for sure. And especially some of our smaller suppliers, you know, unfortunately they just, you know, kind of disappeared. Um, And not only that, you know, the contacts within our core audiences, you know, our target audiences that we want to get to come to these events, they all of all of a sudden you know you're getting bounce backs from people you have to start doing new data builds because these people yeah. have left their roles these roles have been made redundant so you're very much starting from blank canvas and that kind of it was very unifying wasn't it covid you know mm. it didn't matter how many years experience you had whether it was two or 20 all of a sudden none of us knew what we were doing anymore yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's you know it's quite humbling a reminder that no one knows everything you know um mm. but it, you know yeah, it's a few it, it, years on now, but it still feels like we're still finding and discovering new ways of working.
0: That we didn't you know, no, absolutely. You know, I I found myself sort of not not rethinking, but just from nowhere sometimes having a light bulb moment where I'll, I'll go, oh, why don't we do it like that? You know, we've always done it like this, but we could do. Why don't we take advantage of that or do do this a little bit differently? Um, and and the, the the thing the Friday thing is a really interesting one because like you said you know particularly something like awards you know but if it was a business related awards event or, or yeah very much a conference as well but you know it would be tuesday thursday tuesday wednesday thursday they were the days that you would aim yeah. for because they're business related you want them during the working week nobody wants to do it on a monday night you know nobody wants to come on a friday night because they're sacrificing their their saturday potentially yeah. but for business awards, you know, the, the the type of companies that go to any type of sector awards for for, 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 a, for a business sector, you know, they want to be there. They want to potentially win. They, they want to treat it as maybe a team night out if they have bought a table. You know, everyone wants to get stuck into the wine on the table and, you know go and go and get you know lashed up on the company credit card <clears throat> we, we know what happens at these awards we've all been yeah. to them a hundred thousand times before why not do it on a Friday when nobody's really got to think about getting up for work the next day you know you've actually got the potential there of ha- allowing your audience to have an even better time because they're not holding back at all
1: yeah for sure and I think <laughs> the difference is back in the day you knew everybody's kind of rough schedule whereas now you know a Friday could be a Wednesday could be like a Friday to somebody. And there's actually no way of understanding now what people's personal and professional kind of schedules are or what days they are in London, what days they are not. So, Mm. you know, and aside from canvassing every single person in your database, which is just, you know, not real. I mean, it is possible, but you know, we certainly here can't do that. It's, it's kind of like you have to, there's an element of risk and you have to kind of take a bit of a punt and then it's about repositioning what the Mm. event what the event means and trying to lean into this new way of life that everyone has. And ultimately, like, I think, you know, it's something I've always said that, you know, events are just about people. And I think there is an element of overthinking these things. Sometimes you just have to strip it back and think we are all human beings. These people that are coming to our events, they're just humans like us. What would we want to do? What makes sense for us? Um, I think when you don't have that data, those trends to kind of work from, Mm a lot of the time it just comes down to that. It just comes down to, you you know, what are we basing this on? We have nothing to base this on. Okay, we're all just humans. If we're going to a conference and awards, what just feels like it makes sense right now and see what happens. And then from that, start building, building on it.
0: Yeah, Uh, that that old and new balance must have been a difficult one to strike because whilst we talk about maybe not, not so much a loss of data, but the data almost becoming irrelevant because it had changed so significantly, you will still, there are still sort of, you know, essential elements and 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 let's take the awards as an example you know if it's for a business sector no doubt some of the audience that come to that awards will will be retained from from pre-pandemic um they will expect a certain sort of pattern i suppose to 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 the way that, that an evening will flow was was it difficult to sort of strike a balance between retaining older elements but wanting to to sort of innovate as well without maybe um alienating you know old audience uh, you know visitors and, and attendees
1: mm. yeah it's a good question i think when it with awards specifically um the biggest change that we are only now starting to consider making actually is this desire for making more of the networking element so we all know why people go to awards we all know why people sponsor awards you know it's a tried and trusted formula and here Mm -hmm. at emap it still works very well in the sectors that we work in so you know that is what it is i think the days of whacking a photo booth in and calling that innovation you know it's clearly a thing (laughs) of the past but i think people are more discerning now particularly our sponsors in terms of wanting to make more of the networking because you know (laughs) they get to network with the people on their table and for a bit in the drinks reception, but that's it. So, you know, saying that awards is great for networking. I mean, is it, it's great for having a laugh and it's more about taking your team out on the table that you're sat on. There's more pressure now, I think, to deliver the value. And I don't think it's about chucking in gimmicks. It's actually just about, okay, do we just give more time to this? Do we schedule? um, So, you know, do we split up the awards into smaller chunks? We spread out the courses that we're serving further apart so it's not you know two yeah. hours of sitting there in silence listening you know and as we all know people start getting rowdy and don't listen by the end anyway so it's just more about the tweaks to the format rather than these big innovations because as you say people will be expecting a certain type of mm. structure and we don't want to you know go too far away from that but for certain for certain events anyway not all
0: yeah uh, uh, do you know what you you I, I don't know whether or not uh, you're a mind reader by trade but that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to ask you next was about the formula of an awards if we look at that again as, as a specific example mm-hmm. is that we've all been there you know you arrive you have your drinks you get asked to be sat that you know sat down for dinner you have a little opening speech from somebody from the from the awards then you get served your lovely meal you tuck into the wine da, 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 and then the lights go down and at sort of 30, the host comes on stage. stage and you begin the 90 minute or you know two hour slog through the awards and through you know nomination videos and uh and sponsors etc and we've all been there as well where we get sort of an hour in and nobody's really paying any attention anymore they're too drunk uh things get rowdy the impact that you want those categories later on in your uh, script to have that you're building towards have less of an impact because of that sort of schedule. And um, mm-hmm. I, I did one last year where where we did exactly what you just described. We broke it up. We did a couple. We did two or three of the categories literally after people had sat down straight into it. We did starters and then we you know did a couple more categories. We sort of broke it up during the evening so that um, you know we could you know, we could allow more of a, that focus to be retained on the awards rather than asking people to concentrate for two hours?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think small tweaks like that for for something like an awards, I think can work really well. If you straight too far from the classic awards formula, I think you absolutely can, but then you're just turning the model on its head entirely, which can absolutely work. But as we all know, you know, awards can be really profitable when they're done well. And mm-hmm. if people are still wanting to pay to come along to them, um, and they see value in that, um, you don't you don't want to kind of take that away. So, yeah. you know, here we're still kind of sticking with that traditional format, but starting to in just kind of soft launch other awards that are maybe more, um, you know, informal, sure. completely different, funded in a completely different way. Um, and that's what we're kind of looking into exploring for next year as well. But these are kind of new launches rather than relaunches.
0: Well, let, let's come back. Let's come back to that in a bit, if we may. But mm-hmm. and but I'm, I'm, I want to sort of turn the attention or the, or the, the, the focus of the conversation to, to conferences, because, again, when we look at how we operated pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, one of the, the sort of the biggest things to come out of the pandemic was the the, the video meeting. You know everyone who hadn't adopted it previously did so almost overnight and we realized that we could get a lot of content into a short space of time by focusing people's attention the video meetings meant that people's attention spans were reduced and i don't know about you but i think that that had a a big impact on in-person conferences when they came back because we suddenly realized we didn't need 60 minute keynote presentations anymore um, because of people's attention spans. So is that how you guys have felt there in terms of programming content and you've really changed the sort of the, the time scales and the structure of the days?
1: So again, it varies market to market um, based on you know the behaviors of our audiences, right? And kind of what they like. Um, so for example, We find that for our architecture portfolio, the content is best digested when it's kind of punchy, Mm -hmm. case study led stuff. It's just the way that they work. Right. Because of the way that architects minds work. So that's what they want. And that's they're the sessions that are consistently rated um, Mm. highly. So we lean into that and we make sure that we are delivering on that. I think that something that we challenge for us um is around the kind of capturing of the digital content particularly for conferences that are maybe slightly more technical which Mm -hmm. is the case with architecture um or in fashion our sustainability conference is particularly you know topical and probably our most popular in terms of footfall um and we have pressure from delegates wanting to re-listen to the content afterwards and we don't but as standard video every single piece of content at every conference that we do and there are you know challenges for reasons that we can't do that we cut you know there's not always you know it's budgetary constraints absolutely yeah. um yeah. Yeah. so yeah. what we've done this year is think okay well we need to be doing this somehow we need to be capturing this information somehow because there's still a desire for digital content um, so we started doing audio recording. And pushing that out via swap card post-event so that everybody that paid for a ticket can access it and listen to it as they need to. And then one development that that has led on to is launching a podcast off the back of it. So, you know, we're hoping that will then develop and become a revenue stream in its own right once we started building building up the audience so that you know it's not groundbreaking stuff but you know for drapers which is a very well established brand it's never had a podcast before it is a big step for us um and it's something brand new for our audience so it's like okay so we've launched this this is how we are developing the conference not just on the day but Mm -hmm. after the day so Um, that was quite important for us.
0: Well, we, I, I, this has been mentioned on, on this podcast before, is that if we think about how what content is now, you and I could be sat on a stage right now at a conference for event professionals talking about this very subject, having this very discussion on a conference stage with two microphones and two armchairs and a coffee table between us. We can have the same conversation down this video connection that we're doing now. We can record this content this could either be pushed out live to a digital conference or we could record it and put it out and call it a podcast how we actually label things now is a very very gray area um i think Mm -hmm. because you know you record a panel discussion at a conference and you put the audio out via spotify and via podbean and via uh, apple podcasts what is a podcast what is a conference discussion if we're recording it via video if we're recording it via audio you know the, the content is everywhere now and and there, there's so much that we could um we can do with it and again i think that that's something that during the pandemic we really realized that we were in a better position than maybe we would given ourselves credit for with some of the content we were creating in terms of how we put it out post event
1: yeah for sure it's giving it, you know a longer shelf life and knowing i think we are better placed now to know how to do that and it's just you know like you said the the you know there there are endless ways in which you can do that it's just the actual delivery of it so for here internally the question is aside from you know do we have the budget it's who's actually going to oversee this who's actually going to deliver it so Mm. something like a like a podcast it does need an internal stakeholder to kind of oversee it and who's who's the obvious person to do that does that Mm. sit within events does it sit within my division, does it sit within the editorial team and their digital engagement person? You know, does it sit with the brand? Does it not? You know, so there's a lot of these kind of conversations to work out as well. Um, you know, you need to have, if you're gonna do something, you've got to do it properly. So Mm. you need to make sure that you're able to do that. But then equally there's that, you know, I'm generally on the I err on the side of caution. I'm kind Mm. of 80% risk averse and then 20% of me will take the risk (laughs) when needed. So you know, I'm 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 not, you know, a um I'm not one of these kind of like spontaneous entrepreneurial types and a safe pair of hands. But every now and then, if you get me on a on a good day, I'll just say we just gotta do this and chuck some time and money at this and let's see what comes out of it because if COVID had taught us anything, it's that god goodness knows what's gonna to happen tomorrow. <laughs>
0: Well yeah and, and there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. You say you know chuck chuck time and money at it but also yeah. use the phrase do it properly. Yeah. But I think one of the other things that, that we realized during covid is that we don't need vast budgets to bring in you know complicated highly professional production companies to deliver you know certain elements of content. You know we've seen we've all seen BBC presenters you know delivering a live uh, report via an iPhone and a set of AirPods in their, in their ears, you know, as long as you're getting the content, you've got, you know, visual representation of where they are. You can hear them clearly. You know, I I think how we actually Mm -hmm. deliver content now doesn't necessarily have to be delivered with cutting edge, highly professional broadcast equipment. When we talk about capturing audio for podcasts, now you can get a digital recorder and ask your AV guy to just plug it into his mixing console and take the audio from the microphones that are on a conference stage you know, and that yeah. that is that is good enough for a podcast in most instances. Certainly mm. better than what we would have started podcasts with 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, yeah. So I think as much as you probably want, uh, certainly when you're dealing, you know, with a, an organisation like EMAP, with the reputation that, that comes with that brand, you want to do things to a professional level. But I don't know what you think of this as, a, as an opinion, but I personally think that we don't, we, we've got a lot more, uh, means at our disposal now without mm. the, the huge budgets that we needed to have 10 years ago
1: I agree and I think there's also a a kind of a if it, if it suits the brand there's a certain charm if you are watching something where a speaker or somebody has recorded something on their iPhone it doesn't look you know it's that kind of it's just another human talking to you it's mm-hmm. not something that's so highly produced I think I think for us here we really have to work with Kind of brand guidelines, and everyone is different, and the expectations. Yeah. The editors obviously heavily involved in, you know, the elements of launching or relaunching an event, and we want their buy-in because you know it's their event too, right? So that varies wildly, mm-hmm. as well, um from brand to brand. But I think for me, it's less about the tech being done right or you know costing yeah. thousands and thousands of pounds. I think for me, when I say doing it properly, I'm talking more about. The kind of the workflow and making sure we're all connected because as you you know in a large organization like this you know okay somebody organizes that the audio is captured then it's sent to someone else to kind of do the editing and then it's sent to someone else to host and then it's sent to someone else who manages all of the analytics and then that has to feed into certain reports and you know it's more about kind of Getting it done properly, for me, means making sure that marketing understand what's required, that the editorial team are fully on board and want to support it through what they're pushing out, that the event ops team understand the logistics of it and why it's important and build it into the budget. So it's it's that, making it seamless, because with this Draper's podcast, for example, the only way it's going to work and that we're going to drive engagement and then hopefully it become a revenue stream is if we've got processes in place that can work. Yeah, And I'm, I'm all about the process.
0: <laughs> no, a, a, absolutely. There has to be a clear, uh, maybe hierarchy is the wrong word, but like you said, a, a process, yeah. you know, a, 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 because again, an organisation like yours that, that, that's dealing with hundreds of, of clients, I, I would imagine, mm. you know, once you've got a process in place for one event, yeah, that can potentially be replicated across other events. So having yeah. that clear process in place is, is probably critical when you're dealing with many different, at the same event a conference for example but in different sectors who might want to achieve the same sort of outcome um mm-hmm. so I, I i can imagine those processes are in place um we've got around about sort of 5 minutes left uh, on today's wow. episode and um we're flying through time but one thing i i wanted to to get round to asking you is is venues um mm-hmm. and whether or not there's been been any sort of significant change or reevaluation of of what is you know a good venue or an appropriate venue for any given event and again one of the reasons i wanted to ask that is because of the the the, the sort of the, the the shift from very very formal you know being used to go to some of these sort of formal business events yeah. then during the pandemic things got a lot more relaxed because we we're doing things over video people weren't putting on the suits and the ties or you know a jacket and a shirt anymore and then when we came back i there has been dare I say, a slightly sort of more casual approach to some of these. And I'm wondering whether or not that's impacted at all in terms of venue selection, in terms of how you uh, analyse, you know, what might be good for for any given event.
1: Um, So the venue search is an interesting one. Constant battle. Um, So we have a head of ops here, um, Sophie, who oversees. The venues and the supplier side. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work together on that stuff, but she very much drives it. And I think the biggest shift that we are seeing at the moment is the requirement, both from us and from the brand teams, around finding venues that are um, sustainable, perhaps they've been retrofitted, not new builds. So trying to essentially lean into some of the practices that we're preaching via the various brands. So, for example, mm-hmm. Drape is sustainable fashion. You need to host it at a venue that, you know, has sustainable practices that can be proved. If it's an architecture um, retrofit, we've got a retrofit conference. So we need to host it, in a venue that's been re- is, is a retrofit, you know. Course, so yeah. it's you know. So immediately you start these criteria start coming. You know, there's more and more. And as I'm sure everyone listening will know, the venue costs are skyrocketed, kind of understandably mm. because they need to start recouping what they've lost, right? So and energy sky-
0: prices. You know, you've got all these I mean, factors in place. Everything
1: and. Yeah you know, you have to mitigate that, you know, the obvious ways, ticket prices, you know, our ticket prices need to start going up and, you know, we need to try and mitigate that to a degree. Um, But I think for us, the biggest challenge is pushing back on the venue saying, okay, what are your sustainable credentials and also accessibility? Mm. Um, Some people might have seen the EMAP ramp it up campaign that we've launched where every, we're pushing every venue to provide ramps free of charge to organisers. Yeah. Um, So the organisers, you know, we shouldn't, Organisers shouldn't have to be paying more for that. It should just be people with accessibility needs should be able to expect they'll be catered for regardless. So, you know, it's it's that kind of, those kind of nuances. Um, mm. In terms of, you know, uh, kind of informal venues versus formal, that for us hasn't really changed. I would say that we do, where possible, try and work with, partners um or it, you know within the relevant industries to kind of co-host events that's quite nice for the core audience because then they're in a space so that in an architecture sure. practice for example that works for smaller events obviously
0: not the big ones mm. Do, have you um it's not necessarily a final question because we've still got a few minutes but um it, again that the practice of having a conference and then immediately tying on an awards event beyond yep. that conference which which is commonplace in the industry has that changed at all have you found that you've actually split some of them up or where there was a conference and an awards that were tied in together as has that remained the, the, the same
1: it's interesting so we split them and now they're coming back together <laughs> wow. and that is kind of the kind of two reasons really one we have found that there's actually, with so say you have, I don't know, take sustainable fashion, the people that attend the conference, and the people that go to the awards, there's actually not a huge amount of crossover. It's really interesting. You've got different people going to different things. So from our perspective, right. merging them doesn't cannibalize anything. And okay. it doesn't, it's not added pressure on the time of the individuals because it's different people going. And the right. same right. trend seems to apply across all of our markets. And there's an obvious benefit to us as an organization of putting everything on the same day yeah so we're starting to bring them back in and then on the second kind of reason for that is we have launched a conference in a space where we previously where we have an awards and there was no conference so you know when we launched it we launched it on Mm -hmm. a different day we didn't want to tie it in to that timing wanted it to work as a standalone it's successful so now we're bringing it in with the awards yeah um, if that makes sense so
0: within within physically the same space that the awards would be in the evening so utilising uh, the same sort of on one, staging? Uh, on one
1: occasion, yes. On another occasion, actually, no. There'll be two different venues, but on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more for us a resource. You know, for us, it helps with resource, right? Resource planning. If Everything's focused on one day. It helps with kind of noise in the market. Everything's mm-hmm. much more focused. We just come up with more sophisticated kind of ticketing styles. So, okay, if people want to come to both, what kind of deal can we offer them, et cetera? Um, and actually... <laughs> You know stage set sharing saves a bit of cost but it doesn't you know not a huge amount um yeah. so yeah. that's less of a consideration if and I guess the
0: sustainability just... element does creep back in because if there is any crossover in the audiences and they are going to both then from a travel point of view et etc et etc you know you've got that that sort of sustainability element that will fall into probably a, a small percentage of of, of the audience.
1: Yeah, for sure. And for next year, there's there's a pro- a project going on with the management team about measuring the carbon footprint of all of our events, mm-hmm. um, which you know we're you know we, we feel like we're actually behind the curve on this. So once we start measuring, it's going to become even more evident where we need to start offsetting that, and things like that are going to help. And then when we are confident that we are doing the right things and we're making headway, we can we can feed that back to the market because it's important to them as well. Fashion, architecture. Our other brands that we work on you know materials recycling obviously sustainability is just inherent now right so mm, um, we need to start we need to start working
0: harder yeah, and, and, and that, that's a, a very, very sort of, you know, apropos to, to wrapping up today's podcast and maybe mentioning, as I'm doing on most of the episodes now and giving a, a blatant plug for um, Event Sustainability Live, um, new event that, that was launched a couple of months ago uh, by Event Industry News. It's going to run alongside Event Tech Live at Excel um, in London uh, in November. So have a, have a little Google of Event Sustainability Live. Um, we're bringing, you know, a, a dedicated event specifically for event professionals to discuss everything sustainability um and sustainable practices not not just in terms of of looking at carbon footprints and you know you know recycle recycle coffee cups and all of that jazz but sustainability is something that um as an industry falls right down to, to to our human resources our hr practices how we look after our staff the well-being of people working within the industry all of that has an impact on sustainability and running sustainable events and um that's uh, sort of a good way to, to begin wrapping up today's episode by by giving a a mention for event sustainability live uh in november Um, alongside Event Tech Live at Excel London. Um, Caroline Cronin, Head of Events at EMAP, has been our guest today, talking about precedence trends, how things have changed since the pandemic and how we've had this lovely sort of refreshed way of thinking for the last two and a half or so years. It seems a lifetime ago now, um, I I, I have to confess it, You that the the, the conversations and and all of these sort of cliches that, that sort of crept in and were still being used about a year ago about oh people love getting back to in person uh, you know i think that's almost a lifetime ago now you know we we've been back for some time now but it's really interesting to look at how since we've been back our practices and, and our approach to things have changed. So Caroline, th- thank you. Huge. Thanks. Thank, thanks for taking a bit of time out today to, to have a, a, a chat with us on the podcast. What we should do is is come back to you before we wrap up and just say, if anybody wants to find out a little bit more about the events that you're running about, um, some of you know, the, the ramp it up, um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, thing, how, how do we find out about that? How can our guests uh, do their own research?
1: Well, um, If you want to follow EMAP on LinkedIn, that's the best place to find out any kind of updates around the things like our ramp it up campaign. And then the only other little plug I wanted to make because, you know, EMAP doesn't need to be plugged. We all know who EMAP is. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a trustee for EventWell, um, which is the mental health um, organization for event professionals. And uh, so I would like to plug that if you're interested in finding out what EventWell do, you can follow them on Twitter or LinkedIn at EventWellUK
0: and have a little search as well in um, some of our, our older episodes, all of the episodes of the podcast were available wherever you get your podcast from or via event industry news and event. Well, uh, and the people sort of behind event well and, and Helen have been guests on the podcast before. So if you want to find out a little bit more about them, not only Google them and, and have a little look at their own sort of pages, but you can also find, uh, I think probably two or maybe even three previous episodes of this podcast where we've spoken to event well and, and found out what, um, what they've been doing within the industry. So yeah, Great plug, Caroline. Thanks for (laughs) that. That was seamless. Thanks for mentioning that. It's almost like we know what we're doing when it comes to producing (laughs) things. I should I should mention before we finish finally today that if you are listening to today's podcast via your podcast platform, don't forget to head over to eventindustrynews.com where you can find video versions of all of our podcasts as well as all the latest news features and special supplements that are on the Event Industry News website and you can also check out the A to Z supplier directory. If you work within the events industry and you're looking for a product or a service as a supplier, chances are you'll find it within the A to Z supplier directory on eventindustrynews.com If you are already on the website and watching us today thanks very much for joining us and don't forget you can get audio versions in the opposite direction of all of our podcasts just go to wherever you get your podcasts from on your device search for event industry news and you will find us on places like spotify and apple podcasts etc etc thanks very much for tuning in everybody thanks again to caroline Cronin for being our wonderful guest today and we'll see you on the next edition of the event industry news podcast goodbye everybody